Welcome to the latest episode of The Player's Voice, where this week we are joined by Kildare goalkeeper Mary Hulgrain. My name is Alan O'Mara. I'm the host of this podcast, a former Cavan goalkeeper, and now work as a performance and well-being consultant with sports and business leaders around the world. During this powerful and insightful conversation, Mary reflects on her well-being journey and recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. She talks about the importance of accepting help and shares some of the highs and lows of life in recovery. Mary also chats about learning to love herself, prioritizing self-care, and the things that help her to stay well. If you're a GPA member in the Republic of Ireland and are impacted by this episode, please call 1-800-989285 or you can text GPA to 50808. From Northern Ireland, please call 0800-044-5059 or you can text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and want to learn more about important mental health services, check out the likes of the Samaritans, Pieta House, and for addiction-specific services, check out Quinn Moira. The Player's Voice is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. The podcast series is part of Bio360, a GPA programme that empowers inter-county players across four key areas. Life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Please go to bio360.gaelicplayers.com to learn more. But for now, please enjoy this episode of The Player's Voice with Mary Hulgrain. Mary Hulgrain, you're very welcome to The Player's Voice. How are you? Great, Alan. Thanks. Great to be here. Uh, absolutely pleasure to have you. Um, really really excited about this conversation that we're going to have. To kick us off, Mary, I know like a lot of people will know you now as an advocate for mental health and for addiction and you've had your own experiences and struggles with with substance abuse, with alcohol and with pills. And I was going to ask you to start by starting on the recovery aspect. And I know 2017 from articles I read was a year you began that recovery journey. And I suppose I was going to kick you off by just asking kind of where and how you reached out for help at, at that moment and what kind of drove you to do so at that point? Yeah, um, so 2017, I I think my, I actually didn't even know really, Alan, to be honest, that I, I, I didn't have acceptance really or awareness that I, I had a problem with drink or with drugs or with tablets, even though I was drinking and using every day. I thought like it was my mental health. So I was just every day waking up, I, like it wasn't something that just came out of nowhere, I always talk about it, it was every single day I was waking up and my thought process was, oh, here we go, I have to try and get through another day, like, like I just didn't want to be here. And every single day it was like, oh, look, will today be the day? I just, I wanted to take my own life every single day. And it was a battle to try and get through that, like, and I always talk about my dog because the dog was the only thing that ever kept me going. And I just used to say to myself, like, who is going to mind him? Because... I just, I was so attached to him in a way. I, I, I wasn't able to leave him with anyone. And that was my processes every day, every day. And then one day I woke up and I was just like, no, today's the day. And I just knew, just knew like, and it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't just this day I woke up and it wasn't a split decision. This thing was coming for years. Like I was struggling with my mental health for maybe since, I, like I realized probably since I was probably about 17, that was the first time I realized that um, I had a problem with my mental health. And then, so in 2017, um, we're talking many years ago, six years ago, so I would have been about 28. 
So I'd struggled with it for a good 10 years, like, and then this day I was just like, no, I knew what I was doing, had everything organised, and I said I'd walk the dog one more time. And I went for a walk. I live on the Curry here in Calaire and do the same loop every day. I always tell this story if I'm doing talks around to, to kids because it was so important in my, in my journey. Like, and in my head, I was done. Like, I, I was, there, there was no reason for me to be here. No one loved me. No one cared about me. I was worthless. Like, I valued myself as a piece of dirt on the floor. Like, that's where I was internally. And went for this walk, brought Bales with me. Bailey's a big golden retriever. And uh, he's there beside me, actually. Look, I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> How beautiful. Yeah, he never leaves my side like, but we went for a walk and I did the same loop I always do and it's about 15 minutes. I came back up the road and I remember coming back up the road and I was met by an old man and I used to walk like, I was at the stage where like, I was so paranoid and anxious all the time even leaving the house. Like I used to just wear a jacket and put my head down and I wouldn't speak to anybody on the walk. Like I, I even used to tell people like, I remember I used to only go to the shop like when it was dark because I was so anxious about meeting someone or I just really, really struggled with anxiety, like massively. But I was just walking my head down and this man stopped me and he was walking this little Jack Russell and I remember he just said to me and he stopped me and he was like, wow, isn't he a gorgeous dog? And I just remember looking at him and I was just like, I just looked at him differently and I was like, yeah, he really is. Like, I remember he put his hand on me like that and he just said, I hope you have a wonderful day. And I don't know what it was like, Something inside me, it was just like this little thing of maybe hope or I don't know what it was, but that man changed my whole life. Like that little social social interaction with that man. And I was coming back up the road, like that's all he said to me, Alan. It was just like, I hope you have a wonderful day. And he just put his hand on my shoulder, like, and I was coming back up the road that, that day. And I just remember saying, like, I just, I wonder if I actually asked someone how to stop drinking and how to stop taking drugs. I wonder would my, my thinking change. Cause I, I was just, I thought it was a mental case. Like I was like, I wonder would it change if I just stopped drinking? And I, I remember walking up that road and I said, I'm going to make a phone call. I knew who I was ringing and that was in the morning that maybe it was maybe eight, nine o'clock. And I remember it took me till seven o'clock or five or six o'clock. I think that evening to make the phone call. Yeah. It was just, no, I can't make the fear inside me. It was just, it was massive. And to this day, I've never met a fear like the fear I met that day trying to pick up the phone to say, look, I, I need to dig out here, like, and it was only a couple of months ago, Alan, to be honest, actually, I was doing a, a session with someone and uh, I do a lot of counselling, a lot of work on myself still, like, and I was doing a session with a man and he said to me, Mary, you do know that that man was sent from God for you to save you that day, like, and I never t looked at it that way, like, I never met that man ever again in my life and I've done that walk every single day, like, and he said, that man was sent to save you that day, like, you do realise that. And to me, like it was like, and my whole life changed then that day. Like I rang that man, I knew he, who to ask. I just rang him and I remember picking the phone up and the fear got me, my voice was shaking. And I just remember saying to him, look, he thought I was ringing him about football. Like, and I just remember saying to him, look, I just, I need you to, t to tell me how you stopped drinking. Because I knew that man was in recovery and I knew he hadn't drank in 15 years and I just wanted to know how he did it. Because I thought to myself, geez, if I just go easy on, on the booze a bit, you know, and 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 the drugs, that I, I might get a bit better. Like, that was my thinking. But he said, talk me through, stay on the phone with me for about an hour and a half, Alan, and just talk me through a few things. And he said, I'll collect you there uh, this evening. And uh, we, we'll, we'll just drive around, we'll tip around, we'll have an old chat. But in my, to me, that was just, that was the hope I needed. Like, you know what I mean? Someone oh, cared 100%. about me. 
someone cared about me, someone was listening to me. I was telling this man on the phone, like, I want to take my own life today. Like, I don't want to be here. I feel worthless. Like, and he's like, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. We'll get you through it. Like, and to me, it was like, it was everything. It just, it changed my whole life that day. Like, and he collected me that night, drove me around and we ended up going to our first meeting together. Now, I was hoping the car would crash every two minutes because I didn't want to go, but I got through it. And that was the start of my recovery in 2017. Wow. It's such, um, there's such powerful moments and insights and perspective from yourself there. And like, as I'm just like, as I'm reflecting on kind of what you've shared and thank you for that. Like the, I kind of, I, I picture, I visualize you out on that walk feeling kind of despair and hopelessness and like disconnected and probably lonely and just like all sense of hope being gone. And in some ways that interaction with the man, like it is, as you said, you don't know his name, this, this like nameless man. Um, like it sounds like that small act of kindness was just a spark of warmth or like a spark of care or compassion or connection almost maybe at a moment when you just started to really think that it was fully gone in your life. I don't like, again, if, if I'm putting any words in your mouth or as I'm like from, yeah, that's it. like, it's so crazy or not crazy is the wrong word, but like, it's so like that, that's just that small gesture or just that act of kindness was just a, like a spark of hope or a li literal tiny bit of warmth in your day that just made you like kind of rejig your thinking just a little bit. Right. Yeah. That's what I always said to someone like, like it was told to me very early in recovery, like you have a head that lies to you and like always remember that, like your head will lie to you some days and that's why it's important to just see it through and let it pass. And then your thinking can change again. Do you know what I mean? Jeez, I was in a bit of bother there. But like that man was so kind like to me. And even, I just remember the way he spoke to me. It was so gentle. And I was just used to, everything was really hard in life and just stress and pressure and always having to fight for things. Yeah. And like, to me, like the only way like I was able to react was someone being gentle and kind. Mm. And I wasn't used to it. Like, and it just... Even when I rang that man, I remember he was so gentle to me on the phone, the way he spoke. And it was like, I want that. I wanted what he had, like. Yeah. Uh, so, like, that exchange or that interaction, Mary, then, like, so obviously you go off and your head is spinning again and you're thinking and there's, I'm sure there's endless amounts of internal dialogue and self-talk, good and bad, and everything in between. And then, like, I want to touch upon that, that kind of moment of making that call or reaching out for help, like, I've been very lucky over the years to have various of these kinds of conversations with people with different journeys and different experiences. And a common thread is always like knowing and deciding you're going to make the call and then the fear, dread, the anxiousness of the in-between of actually trying to do it. And like I'd even share like my own experience of that was like I remember going to reach, I went to reach out to the GPA's helpline, typed the number out in my phone couldn't press the green, but at the time this phone, this phone still had buttons. It was a Blackberry and uh, <laughs> I couldn't press the green button. So I put it away. And then later on that evening, I did it again. And I was like, no, I can't do it here because I'm in a house with people. So I need to leave. And then I was walking down the street and I would go to press the green button and I'd see someone coming at me, but like, I was like paranoid, anxious. What if they hear me? What if they say what I'm about to say? So I kept walking and kept walking on streets of, of Dublin till I found a street where there was no one on it. And then I called, um, and I suppose I just share that with you from the perspective because you touched upon it already of like the hours in between. Talk yeah. to me a little bit about what's going on, I suppose, 
in the build up to making that call because there's so many people who will struggle with different things and they get close to reaching out for help but then don't because that fear kicks in that anxiousness kicks in that self-doubt kicks in so any insights or any kind of experiences you want to share in that like window I'd love to hear from you on that yeah I just I just know like I always say like to, to this day it was the hardest thing that I ever have to I had to do like and I remember I was going on a bus somewhere that day. I think it was on the green bus up this way. And I remember just, I've like, my memory isn't great. Like, to this day, it's not great. But, like, I've little kind of memories of things. But I remember that day I've just been on a bus. And I remember walking up that road that day thinking, I, I, I know I need to make the phone call. I remember looking through my, my phone and seeing, yeah, you have the man's number that you need to ring. And I knew it was that man. And I don't know why, in my head. And I didn't even, I've only maybe had two encounters with this man before. But I knew, I was like, it's the only person I, I need to ring. But I remember being on the back of that bus and seeing the number on the phone and clicking over and all, going back in a few minutes later and all. You know, my head was constantly lying to me. My head was constantly telling me, like, you don't deserve help. You, there's not all that's wrong with you is you do need to take your own life. Do you know what I mean? The devil on the shoulder was so much louder. And it was constantly telling me to do the wrong thing. Like, and I always just remember when I was small, I don't know, it came from a movie or something, but used to be a little daredevil, like, I have a brother there, and we used to always be doing things, but I always remember he used to say in my head, like, face your fear and your fear will disappear. And it could be, if I was going down a big slide or something we were doing, like, I was always like, face your fear and your fear will disappear. And I remember that day, that's, how, that's what I said to myself. And I remember when I even made the phone call, like, you can build things up, I think, in your own head, like, to these mountains, and they're not, like, it's your own thinking. Because I remember making the phone call and he didn't answer. He was away at the time and I went to voicemail and I thought, oh, brilliant, unbelievable. Like, I don't have to do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but that, but like, I didn't get him on the phone, but he rang me back. But it was just me initially pressing the green button. Like, you have all this fear and emotions inside you and this build up and it's, it's all created within ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, I came to realize later on in life for me, it was just everything I created inside myself. And if, like, I know today, like, I can still get like that little bit of anxiety or fear, but today I'm like, okay. I'm able to, I'm able to name it like, I know, okay, you're a bit anxious at the minute. Right, why is that? Let's look into it a little bit. Okay, look, you need to push past that. Do you know, so in a way, like I always say today, like emotions, fear, stuff like that is actually healthy in a way because like I could never feel anything before. Like I was so numb to everything. Yeah. But like that day, it was just the anxiousness and the, like the fear inside me had me crippled. It just the resistance inside me was so strong because to me, asking for help was a sign of weakness. Alan, do you know what I mean? And like, I'd never asked for that in my whole life. I was always a strong one. I always had to get by you. We had to do this on our own. Everything you were just, you were always like dependent and you never asked people for help. And for me to actually put my hand up and surrender and say, look, I need a bit of a dig out here for me was the ultimate sign of weakness. Like, okay. and I came to realize later on in life, like that is the greatest form of strength you can ever have as it within your character, like is to be able to surrender and say, I need you. I need to dig out. I can't do this on my own. Like, I, I, I couldn't agree more with, with what you've said, Mary. And like, there's, there's just real power in that. And like, often, like, we'll regard resilience as the ability to like Joe endure or to embrace the struggle and to keep going through it all. But what you're describing there is that relationship between vulnerability and courage, and then that actually helps you build real resilience almost because. Like to, I suppose for you to drop the mask, to stop acting, 
to stop yeah. pretending. Um, you said surrender there. Like you're in that mode of like backs to the wall, fight or flight. And what was that like then on the other side? So you, you the the man that you call calls you back. You talk to him. I'm guessing, like, what's the next part of the journey? Because obviously at that point, there's some people will say, okay, we're going to go to, if it's alcohol as anonymous, or if it's going to go to therapy or to residential care. So you kind of get that sense of, okay, there's a, there actually is some options here to help. So what kind of presents itself to you as the path forward? And then I do also want to say and throw it to you. Often we hear stories of persons struggling, reach out for help begins the journey and like you know it's all good and like fair play to you look at you now and we have in this chat today but I'd imagine there was huge fear and huge conflict um within you and around you still at that point was there yeah big time like I I kind of I didn't know like I said I didn't know what was wrong with me I just to me it was just like oh here just stop going so hard and everything and like I actually thought I was the only person in this world that felt the way I felt like, I did not think there was anyone else in the world that knew what I was talking about. And I remember when I rang that man that night and he just, he understood everything. It was like, he understood my thinking, he understood how I was feeling, he understood where I was coming from. Just, I never felt so hurt in my life, like, mm. and it was because he was another, he was another addict, like, you know, he was, I was able to relate and I, I just thought I was the only one in the whole world like it. And... Yeah, I went to my first meeting that night and I just thought, look here, I'll be grand. Like, you kind of just stop taking everything. But, like, that was, couldn't be further from the from the case. Like, I like when I look back on it, I drank and I later on took drugs as well because I wanted to escape reality because I couldn't, I couldn't sit myself, I couldn't live in myself. I ran from everything my whole life. I was ever, never able to take responsibility for anything. And when that was taken from me in... The kind of first when I look back now, like my I would not if I was advising someone in what what way to go in recovery or what to do, it would be everything I I didn't do. Like mm. it, like don't do what I did because it was so wrong. Like I I stopped basically stopped stopped taking everything and uh, I ended up in awful bother after about two days hit withdrawals and uh, I ended up in the doctor then uh, I actually ended up in a psychiatric unit in the hospital then um, and then tried to was there trying to get bloods and stuff done after about a week and I was uh, waiting to go into treatment and something came back then in my bloods and that that I couldn't go into treatment and I had to get other treatment so for me that was kind of the kickstart of me constantly relapsing okay. I thought I was I thought I was going into treatment like and in my own head right look you're going to be whipped out taken out of your environment and you're going to go and you're going to get well something came back in those bloods that I couldn't go into treatment and to me it was like oh here look this is a sign for you that you don't deserve to get right mm-hmm so for me, that was a roller coaster of the next three years of me trying to get clean and sober and it was constant relapse and I was back into the environment I was in. I left psychiatric unit in the hospital after a few weeks and I was just, I was back in the same environment, isolated. I was going to a few meetings trying to do this. I was putting a day program, trying to do different things, but like I was going and just giving lip service, telling people I was clean and sober, but I was going home and stopped drinking then because you smell, you could smell alcohol. Do you know what I mean? And start going a little bit easier on the harder drugs and start kind of abusing tablets then a little bit more because you couldn't really see that as much. Mm-hmm. But it was all just escapism. It didn't matter what it was, you know what I mean? It didn't matter what it was. So I was going and just going and being dishonest, like just saying, oh yeah, look, I'm six months clean and sober here. Now, this but you is, weren't? No, I wasn't, no. Yeah. 
So this is in 17, 18, 19. I really got clean and sober in 2020 and 15th of August, but that was the first time I ever okay. was like, right. Um, but for three years, yeah, I struggled. And I never say like, I hit rock bottom, Alan, because I thought in 2016, like everyone looks back and says, that was one of the best playing years of your life. Like you won an All-Star, you won Player of the Match, you won an All-Ireland, you won everything. I was depressed out of my head that year and I was the worst year of my life. Like, And I never say you hit a rock bottom because... Where I was before I asked for help again in 2020 was the exact same place I was that day. I was out, out walking that dog. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The exact same place. I was back suicidal. Back didn't want to be here. I was after being three years of lying and just being dishonest and trying to do... I was trying though, Alan. That was the thing, like, do you know what I mean? I was trying, but I just... My addiction had me, like, just... I was completely powerless to it, like... I was just... There wasn't a day that I didn't take something, no matter what it was, like... You know, it was, it was so hard looking back. That's why I really just feel for anyone in early recovery. Like, it's the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Like, and if you ask me, would I do it again? Oh, I don't know if I could, like, but when I know what I have today, I wish I could just play someone's tape forward and say, look, I know what you're going through, but look, three years down the line, I'm just going to say, if you had told me today what I have and where I am, like, I never would have believed you. Like, and I don't mean, I don't mean materialistically. I mean what I have in here, like. No, of course. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, it's different. But yeah, but look, three and a half years, 2020 then, I realised it's the exact same place it was, back suicidal, didn't want to be here. Right, well, you're going to have to start getting honest. And for me, that was the biggest thing. Like, you said about wearing the mask, like, I sure had six or seven different masks, like all the different, yeah. do you know what I mean? I think that's so, like, I think that's such a powerful point, Mary, from the sense and like, like when we talk about recovery and again, I, I touched upon this from at the start, like sometimes like it's, you know, you read a leaflet or you see a website and it looks quite linear and it's like, like point A, point B and then you go to C. But I think like it's for recovery and particularly from an addiction perspective with substances or also it's, it can be similar with gambling, for example, like the recovery is often like very messy um, mm. and very few are able to go like enter recovery or help and then like shoot forward from that like there's quite often and I think it's important to say there's quite often relapses there's quite often um like struggles within that process and you've you've talked kind of quite openly there of that like almost being a three-year period because basically and again I'm going to try and maybe describe some of what I've heard to you and I throw it back over to you to, to counter or explain, but you've talked about already about, you know, maybe 10 years of substance abuse, of numbing yourself, of, of suppressing, of wearing masks, of hiding. And then the start of a recovery process like that's often starting to peel off a bandaid where more pain and hurt can actually come through. Um, and you've got to start maybe you get a sense or a touch of feeling the feelings that you've been trying to avoid for 10 years or dealing with the thoughts that you've been running from. And I think it only is quite logical that someone may want to dip back in or run away from it then again, because you get a flavor of it and you get a touch for it and you get that reminder of, oh, fuck, that's what I was staying away from in the first place. Mm. Um, I just kind of, it just is perspective I'd share with you and I just kind of throw it back to you to see what your thoughts are and kind of how that sounds to you. Yeah, big time, like... I like I always say like describe my head as like a washing machine. It was just always noise, noise, noise. When I first discovered drinking drugs, it was like all that was just silenced. So then my whole life, then I just tried to ch chase that that noise being silenced. Mm -hmm. When I come into recovery, you know your crutch is gone, 
you can't take drugs, you can't take drugs, you can't do anything here. And all of a sudden, the head comes back at you tenfold. It's like, I didn't disappear. You've just been trying to quieten me for the last 10 years. Like, and that Was just that overwhelming great. at that point then? It must have been, right? Oh, yeah. I, oh, that's what I said. I didn't even get a day clean and sober, I think, Alan. I think it was just, literally the next day, I remember, oh, we'll collect you. I was like, going to collect you and we go to another meeting then the next day. Mm. And that was the same for a couple of days. And then I, I ended up then just, look, I need to go to the doctor. I'm seriously not well here. Like, and... Then even it's mad because the doctor gives you something thinking, look, this is going to help you. But then I just, I'm addicted. I get, I have such an yeah, addictive personality in everything yeah. I do. Like, I'm like, oh yeah, you latch on to that then. Okay. Do you know? And then I started eating benzos to beat the band. Like, do you know what I mean? Just thinking, but sure, you can't just take anything as prescribed. Everything has to be to excess. Do you know? And it's just, it's not about what you're taking really. It's about your behaviours around it all and the reason why you're taking it. Like, do you know what I mean? So it was messy for me because... Like, it didn't matter what the addiction was. It was just once I was getting some form of escapism from my own head that I didn't have to live in reality, that was all I wanted. And when I was in recovery those first kind of two and a half, three years, it was, I'd find it in that. And like, you can find escapism in that. And like, don't I mean food, it can be that and exercise. So like today, I just try and channel, channel it healthily. Like, and I know, like, look, Jesus, save the gym sometimes. I'm going to go to the gym again there later. But why are you going to the gym there later? Like, do you really need to, like, show yourself a bit of kindness and compassion today? For, so I think for me, that's probably the hardest thing to do. It was always so hard on myself, you know? Mm. It's always so, so hard on myself. Like, you spoke about resilience there. To me, it was always just like, keep going, no matter what the circumstances are. You just keep going forward. Like, you don't stop. Like, when, even when I was playing growing up, it was always like, you know, like, I was only saying to someone the other day, like, now I'll stop and have a drink of water or something during training, but like, Someone say, oh, you're going to get a water break. To me, stopping and having a drink of water was a sign of weakness. Hmm. Like, that's how mad my head was. It was just like, just keep going. Just keep working hard, like, you know. Um, so, like, yeah, when I talk about early recovery, like, everyone's journey is kind of different. Everyone's on their own journey. And that's why I say, look, you'll find your way and you'll find your path. But, like, just because it works for someone doesn't mean it works for someone else. Do you know what I mean? Like I know it, yeah, everything I had to go through in my recovery wouldn't have got me like where I am today unless I went through it all. Do you know? So like you meet people, but like yeah, I was blessed in a way the last couple of years with the people that were put in front of me. But my early recovery, I wasn't so blessed. Had a lot of lessons to learn. Do you know that kind of way? So yeah, just it's, it's a journey. It is, and I think if I had been honest from the start, I would have got it a lot quicker. If I was telling anyone, just look, just be an open book and just just be honest because I was just I was just ah, wearing every mask under the sun and lying through my teeth about everything and yeah. you know what I mean. And and I was getting I was getting what I deserved in terms of I wasn't getting well because I wasn't being honest. Like and yeah, the head was just in the the same place it was that day. I was out walking the dog and. Didn't like even that day, say in two thousand that was two thousand and twenty. Like I didn't even nothing happened that day. But I actually just sat down with myself and it was just I had this moment. You know you have those light bulb moments in your in your life. And I was just like, What are you doing here? Like Like you're three years trying to get this. Like no one cares if you're going in and you're telling them you're clean it's over and you're not. The only person you're hurting is yourself, like. Nobody cares whether you're lying or not, like. And then to me, it's just, there was this moment of just like, no one's coming to save you. Absolutely nobody but yourself can save you at the minute. Like, And I started doing everything that was suggested in like recovery. Like what people have been telling me from day one to do, I actually started doing because I wasn't doing for the, the three years I was in there. And 
I'm not messing. My whole life changed. Like started getting real help, and there was a there was a great man that gave me a bit of a dig out at home here. I was going in doing a day program there. Um, I was getting as many meetings as I could. I started therapy. Today I gave up everything that day, October fifteenth. I picked up the phone and said, "Look, I need someone to give me a dig out. I needed a bit of extra help." Like started counselling. GPA were brilliant with that, Alan, for me. GPA have been unbelievable to me. Yeah. I, I can't speak highly enough about them. Like and. Still go every every week, every two weeks. I still go now because, like, only up until a couple of months ago, I start all that numbness started to go, and I started to feel all my emotions like extra fold. So every it's constantly a journey. Layers. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's layers. Oh, layers and layers, and it's taken, it's taken. Yeah, it'll be three years in October, and it's taken that, and it's only in the last couple of months I feel like I'm really finding myself. You know? Okay. Yeah, definitely. I'll come to those that kind of sense of, you know, what keeps you well and staying well in a couple of minutes, Mary, but kind of going back to what you talked about there. So there's three years after first reaching out for help, you find yourself more or less, you feel like you've come full loop and you're back sitting in the same place or feeling the same way. Um, and again, I think it's important to say like that happens often with people. Again, I just want to kind of clarify that it's not like, you know, that straight shot out of a, of a place. There's ups and downs to it and there's mm -hmm. climbs up hills and slides back down on the other side. Um, I know I relate to it an awful lot as well of what you're, what you're talking about, but then to find yourself there like three years later. And I think like, in some ways, like the little, you say the negative voice in your head might say, hey, listen, you failed again. Look at the state, like you're back here where you started from, you haven't a clue. But then I'm I'm, also, I'm also kind of thinking as I listen to you there, Mary, like whether you've been lying to people or not over the last couple of years, you'd still been going and showing up. So I feel like there was a definitely, must've been a bigger bank of evidence and of awareness and the stuff that actually were going to help you get out of there. So in some ways you were back at the same point, but also it was different because you'd been in and out of different things and different experiences that it sounds like then were actually able to help you move forward from there again. And it was almost like a take a deep breath and reboot and I'm going to give this another push. Is that kind of what happened? Yeah, I think like when I first reached out for help and I got into recovery, it was like, right, I knew I wanted, I didn't want to be feel the pain I felt inside me anymore. And for some day when I met that man, I valued myself that, look, there is a little bit of hope here. But when I came into recovery that time, everyone was telling me, look, I'm going to come here and bring you here and do this. And like everyone was kind of like almost, it was so overwhelming to me that everybody wanted to help me then. Mm -hmm. Whereas I was in this isolated place a couple of weeks ago, like sleeping on a mattress in a house, like had nothing. Do you know what I mean? I was just homeless, like I had nothing. And now all of a sudden, like it was so overwhelming to me, like, and everybody wanted me to get well. And I know I was in a way, like, I've always been, like, so defiant, like, Alan, just since I was a kid. Like, if you try and tell me to do something, I'm going the other way, like, yeah. in a way. And I think what changed for me that day in 2020 was, like, I was like, right, I want this for me. It's for you. Uh, yeah, oh, big time, mm. yeah. I knew I wanted it for me and I was ready, like, and I always said to people, like, if you're coming in or you're, you want something, like, it, you want to change, like, unless you really want it, it's not going to work. You have to want it for you. People say, look, will you go and help this person and that? And I said, yeah, look, I will. But like, you do understand, like, they have to want it for themselves. Um, and I just know that from my own experience because for three years I did it where everyone else wanted it for me and I just ran the other way. And then it all changed when I decided, look, I'm ready. I want it. What do I need to do here? Because I was, I was just on my back again. Uh, but that's what changed, I think, the biggest thing probably. Yeah, that's huge. And like, obviously, as, as you've described quite openly, like the 
the crutch of whatever the substance was of the time was something to kind of hide behind and numb yourself off. And you getting into that to take that away and to kind of get back to like, I'm going to call it surviving, just kind of getting through each day, one day at a time. Um, and to get a sequence of those days together. And then what, so you do that, right? So you get 2020, you get back into recovery. I'm right in saying that you've been in recovery since, since that day. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, like good for you. I and mean, congratulations. Like, oh, but I suppose so day, day by day, I'm sure there's, there was times in that Mary where it was second by second and minute by minute and hour moment by, by hour. Moment. Yeah. And as, as you go through that and stay true to it, and as you said, there's there was somewhat of a penny dropped or a light bulb moment of like, no, this is for me. And like, I'm worthy of this and I have to do this for myself. What's it like then going to, you have, so you have that window where the substances or the crutches have kind of been removed. Um, you're getting through surviving. What's it like then to go to the next layer? You mentioned counseling there, going into therapy where it's actually, I'm sure you're going in and someone's putting the mirror up in front of your face and saying, who are you? What do you see? Um, what was that? We said layers earlier. What's it like then entering that layer of, I suppose, A, recovery would be, and most importantly, your journey then? Yeah, I think, um, what, I think what changed me was that someone said to me, look, you're either going to end up two places, Mary. The way you drink and the way you use, you're going to either end up dead or else you're going to end up in recovery. So what are you wasting your time for? Like, if you want to live, like, there's no choice. So I was like, it was like, what am I wasting all my time for? So that was probably one of the things that someone said to me and then that no one was coming to save me. That like, you do understand, you can't do this unless you want it. Like, And then to like that, picking the phone up to ask for help for counselling, Alan, was massive as well. And like I said, I was blessed this time with really good people around me. Like, there's a saying, like I always say that, like, I can't, but we can, like. And I was really blessed this time with good people that were were trying to get me well. And I remember going to counselling. Someone had dropped me there. They dragged me in the door and said, look, I'm going to drag you there. Just go in and say it, listen, and walk back out. And on the fear, like, that day as well was massive because... I didn't know what I was going into, you know, the fear of the unknown and I was going to go and it was just me in a room whereas all my meetings or the day work I'd kind of gone into, like, most of it was group therapy. Yeah, you can fade into a room if you want to or kind of yeah. feel that you're... You can't hide in a room when it's a one-on-one -on -one situation. The focus is on you, like, and I went to, I think, six, I think it was about six different counsellors before I actually found the right one, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I always said to people, look, go and just experience it and if you don't connect, like, just go and find another one because for me, like, to be able to speak about what I really needed to speak about, I'd never spoke about it in my whole life. Like, I had to take the right person, if that makes sense. Like, and the right person, yeah, the right person is out there. So people say, oh, they have a big fear about going to counselling or going to therapy. Like, yeah, but like, if you find the right person, like, it's not, it's not that hard. Like, but so like I said, I, I used to, I remember going to a person walking back out, someone in the car, I said, I'm never going back to them. They said, Mary, just give them three goes. No, never going back. You may find me someone else. Went to another counsellor, same thing came out. No, that's not the person. No, we'll try a woman. No, we'll try a man. No, we'll try an older person, younger person. Then the right person was putting me path by someone else. Look, there's a fella here. I think you should go talk to him. Met him. Straight away I walked out and I said, he's my man. I said, I'll go back to him. Went back to him and not messing. Like you said about the layers. Do you know what I mean? I thought after a few months, Alan, Jez, I'm sorted. Like, <laughs> not messing. Three years later, I'm still going to him. I still can't wait to go to him now. At the start... Not easy, like, mm. not, not easy. But again, that fear, jeez, going to counselling, like, can I do this? Am I worthy of this? Do you deserve to get well? Because the devil's still there saying, you know what, just go, go and take your own life there. You don't need to be here. You don't deserve to have a normal life, like, 
you don't, you know, all the, all these little things that I never thought about having a future on, if that makes sense, because I didn't think I deserved it. Like my own head, like I didn't have a future, I didn't plan anything or, you know, my own head, I, I'd like, just I didn't deserve it. That's where I was internally, like, and so I went to counselling, that was massive for me. Um, started taking care of myself a little bit, if that makes sense. Like, I used to just, uh, I just think back, like, it just used to be manky, like, I used to just get up and just not even wash myself and I used to go out the next day same stuff on from the day before and I just had no self-care just didn't love myself didn't even like myself couldn't love yeah. myself people say you have to learn to love yourself I was like I can't even look in the mirror lads <laughs> you know like I just I did not I hate myself Alan and I hate myself I did like and uh, started washing myself started brushing my teeth properly like my teeth when I came into recovery were manky like um, started just wearing socks Something I'm using to wear even with socks, like. Now every morning, the first thing I think about is when I put on a pair of fresh white socks and I love it because I'm always reminded to say, I remember you used to go out when you used to not even wear socks, like. But like little things like that to me, just, I always say the abnormal was just normal, like. Yeah. It, I, I didn't even see anything wrong with what I was doing. So like learning a little bit of self-care was massive, like. And um, learning even say, go and cook yourself or make yourself even a sandwich and sit down and eat it. Everything I always did was rushed and it was running around. And I remember my counsellor actually said to me, right, I want you to do something for today for yourself. Like, and I want you to go, I want you to make yourself a sandwich, make yourself a cup of tea, but be present while you're doing everything. Like you're making the tea, you're boiling the kettle, the tea bag goes in, you're watching the water going in, you're going to the fridge, you're getting the milk, you're getting the sugar, you're stirring it. Like there was a process in it. Be present for the whole thing and sit down and enjoy every mouthful of it. And I'll never forget it. Like, and... So little things like that, I had to just learn how to live because I didn't know what was normal, like. So it took a little, like, at the start, I'm not going to say, like, look, I went to the gym, I started doing all this. I didn't. It had to be, like, baby steps for me, like. Had to be baby steps. So learn a little bit of self-care. Something that was said to me very early on is, with the minute you get up in the morning, go make your bed. It's the first task done for the day. Do you know what I mean? Get down to my knees every morning and just thank God for another day and say, look, you're just because I, I shouldn't be here, like, that's... That's my view on it. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think back and I look now and say, like, how are you actually still here after everything that's gone on? Like, so get down and I just, a bit of gratitude. Doesn't matter what way you show gratitude, whether it's you write down what you're doing or I used to always write down 10 things every morning I was grateful for. Um, little things like that, but I, I have to, I'm a creature of habit. Like, I have to have a routine, if that makes sense. Yeah. Without routine, like, I'm just nothing the way my head goes. So I could do the same thing every single day for the next 50 years, like, but that's what works for me. You know, like, so little things like that, a little bit of self-care. Um, just had to, had to go to therapy, had to go to meetings, um, had to connect with someone every single day. Like, for me, connecting on the phone, like, it was really hard, like, just picking up the phone and saying, here, can we go for a cup of tea? You know, that was really hard. That's probably the hardest thing out of the whole lot or else I'd be in bother. And instead of ringing the person when I was in bother, I'd wait till I was out of the bother and then I'd ring them back. Jez, I was in awful bother there earlier on. Yeah, but sure, what are you doing ringing me now when you're out of it? Like, ring me when we're in it and we'll talk through it. Like, you know, so I was still trying to do, all that stuff took a, a bit of time. Um, and then started doing true therapy and true, true meetings and true counseling and all that. Started doing a bit of work. I needed me a bit of step work, all the stuff I had to do in recovery. And that went back and it just, it took all the skeletons out of the closet. Like, had to go and get rid of everything before I could move on, you know, and, and that was a process because my process every morning waking up was past, 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 past sure. experiences. So I had to get rid of that noise and uh, 
look, I don't, I know some days I can wake up and my head can still be at me and I can say, all right, look, I'm in a bit of bother today. Like, it's not gone. It doesn't, for me, it's not just going to magically go, like, but I know the minute I wake up, within two seconds, I'm like, uh-oh, pick up the phone, listen, I'm in a bit of bother. Right, well, let's have a look at what you did yesterday. Let's have a look at what's coming. Let's see where this is kind of coming from and talking about something and then just realising, you know what, your own thinking's just doing a job in your hair, like, it's not too bad. Like, I find, like, a lot of our own anxieties or worries are created in our own head. Like, when you break them down and share them with someone, they're not really that intense anymore. Mm. Um, so, at the start, there was baby steps. But now, today, look, gym. The gym, for me, is just love a bit of training. That's what the football is at. Like, just love going training, just getting out of myself. Because, like, for me, my first addiction, I always look back, was football. Like, when I look back when I was very young, like, my head was mental still when I was a kid, like. I was always, couldn't concentrate, always just daredevil, always out going, doing things. But football, I was present. Do you know what I mean? Like I was, when I was playing football, I was there in the moment. And for me, to this day, it's still like that. It's still, it was my first addiction, like, but I also had my first escapism because, you know, all the noises in the head quietened when I was playing football as a kid. And today it's still like that. So I love, um, I tell you what, it's helped me massive. A bit of meditation, and Do you do any meditation? Yeah. Oh, Little app on the phone. That's well. That's how I do it. But yeah, I used to think it was for mad people. Like people said to me, "Do a bit of meditation." I was like, "Will you go away?" Like, do you know who I am? Like, and uh, I remember sitting down, put on YouTube, put the headphones in, closed the eyes, lay back, put something over my eyes on the bed, and five minutes. I found a five minute guided meditation on YouTube. Mm. I'll never forget it. Lay back, and I just got to this place, and all the noise in my head was just gone. And I was like, "This is a different level." oh meditation and all of a sudden everything that you're worried about isn't so relevant like so for me meditation and a bit of prayer is huge for me as well you know and I have to give back try, try and help someone else wherever I can and that's important to me a little bit of service is, is, is very important um, start ice baths then as well in recovery I find that unbelievable because in a way it's like that shot of adrenaline to the system mm. isn't it it's like it's kind of like that bit of adrenaline just opens you up so I find that great for just grounding myself Massive, but routine probably is the biggest thing, Alan, really, when I look at it. Okay. And I, like, don't know. I know, 100%, like, as I, just as I'm listening to you there, Mary, like, there, there's so much that I could jump back in on. And like you said, routine there. And again, your routine will be entirely unique to you. Yeah, um, and that's like, it's always about, and you mentioned it earlier too, like figuring it out, what works for you. Because it's like, what works for me won't work for you. What works for you won't work for me. Absolutely, there'll be some shared learnings in there and quite similar things. And it's funny, I, I kind of laughed there when you said the ice baths and the grounding experience. For me, when I was at my worst mentally, one of the things that I used to go to the swimming pool and whenever I put my head under water, I wasn't a great swimmer or anything, but like I would kind of do like a half hour swim up and down the pool. But bringing yeah. my head under water like that grounded me. Is like very similar to what you just described, and that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's same but different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And the other thing I love, just as you were talking there, Mary, like you mentioned baby steps, and you mentioned that kind of like I think when we talk about big concepts, you've mentioned a few of them there. Let's talk. Let's say it's self love. Let's say it's self compassion, self awareness, the kind of stuff internally that we're trying to develop, like skills that we're trying to develop. They can kind of seem too big or pie in the sky or airy fairy and all those kind of things. But what I love what you did there was bringing it really down to the basic little examples and doing it and starting things off really small. Like, as you said, self-care was was having a shower and brushing your teeth, you know, like bringing it right yeah. down to those little acts that like 
fire you up in that little way and give you a sense of, okay, I did that. That was good. I do feel better after that. Now what else could I do? Or as like you said, making the sandwich, being present, like I'm worthy of this sandwich. I deserve this sandwich. I've yeah. made this for myself. And I think too often when we hear those words, we kind of get overwhelmed or scared by it, you know, because it feels too big. Like I don't, um, self-awareness, like I, like it's too easy to distract yourself from it or to hide yourself from it. And like the last thing I was going to say, just as I'm kind of, so I really love what you shared there. Like there was so much in it, but like I often, one of the ways I often describe it would just be that like we all have sort of thoughts, feelings and, and actions. Like it's a little triangle I use in my day to day. And as like, you've mentioned it there, like we've thoughts hundreds, thousands a day. Some of them are true. Some of them are false. Like we can be an unreliable narrator of our own lives. So they're all coming and going, flying around the place those thoughts make us feel some different ways at different times, but, and those things can like change and be false. But what I was trying to actually get to here and I've gone the long way around it was one of the things I, I learned to do is like, I could always choose the action, the thing I do about it. And you've mentioned there like various things that you've learned to do. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So like have like all these it, thoughts. It either stays in your head or else you do something about it. Like Yeah. And, and then yeah. actually learning to choose the action you're going to take is going to be a positive one or a proactive one where pre previous times of your lives or my lives, it could be have gone to do a negative thing that was actually unhelpful or that was escapism in a negative way. But then actually learn you said like so let's say you have a thought of you're feeling down again or you have a thought that's triggering you feel like shame or you feel worthless and then you've been able to get an action of no I'm going to go meditate now for five ten minutes like that's huge like that's a huge like breaking up that flow breaking up that process whereas maybe previously you would have just flew down flew down the path into god knows where do you get what I'm kind yeah. of trying to say yeah big time and I think what you said earlier it's about like they're like things that are good for my soul. I always say like, they're the good stuff. They fill your cup up. So when your cup is empty, have your little backup things that you know, right? Look, when my cup is down, I know how to fill it back up. For, so for me, it's gym, meditation, prayer, walk in nature, uh, whether it's an ice bath, make sure your nutrition is on point, make sure you sleep, you're hydrated, all little things like that. And like when I start putting all them things back into my cup, all of a sudden it's like, yep, yeah, look, thinking's back kind of okay again. Yeah, that's a brilliant way yeah. of putting it. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, because uh, there's a great quote, like, I think it's Oprah, sure, I love it. Like, it's like, whatever is in my cup is mine, whatever overflows out of my cup is everybody else's. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I used to always be like, oh, look, giving to people, giving, and all of a sudden you'd be drained then. You've yes. nothing left for yourself, nothing left for yourself then. It's just whatever flows out of your cup is everyone else's, but whatever's in yours has to stay there because otherwise you're, you're not, you're no good to anybody, like. So then, taking all that, Mary, like, how how is life now for you? Like, I know, like, you're, you're, you're playing with Kildare this year and, like, I suppose, I suppose before, yeah, before I come to the football aspect, like, how is life now for you in terms of your day-to-day -day and your week-to-week? -week? Like, how do you feel walking and talking and being yourself as of right, like, as of now? Yeah, like, it's, it's mad that I'm just, not mad, it's just, I think it's amazing that I'm just able to be me. I can wear one mask on and, and mm -hmm. I can be okay with that. Yeah. And that's, to me, that's everything. Like, I used to just, like, I s still I suffer a bit with anxiety, and that's something that's come massively through, through things. Like, even, I, well, there was a thing there, I think, at the start of the year, like, it was the Team of League Awards. I got picked for the Team of League and I couldn't go. I got awful anxious that day. Just couldn't go in my own head. The next day wouldn't, might not have been a bother to me, but sometimes just little things like that can still, can still catch me. But, like, in general, like, 
just to be able, like, I'm so content with myself. Like, people say, you're happy, look, all I know is that I am quite content with myself today. And I just take it day by day, like, and nothing really phases me too much anymore. Like, I just, I kind of know, like, whatever happens now in life, whether it's good or bad, whatever happens, like, everything's going to be all right. You know, you're going to get through it. Sure, life's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of adversity that'll come your way down the road, like, but you're going to be well able for it, like. Whereas before, I used to be thinking about things, oh, how am I going to be able to do this? Today, I'm just like, right, I'm on a podcast with you doing this. Next, going to walk the dogs. Then I've got my classes. Then I've training tonight. Do you know what I mean? So it's just, what's next? It's just small little things, whereas, it's just, I don't know, sometimes it gets a bit overwhelming. Like, I, I all, just in the last couple of months, like, like, I, I'm not messing, I was so no man and I never cried my whole life, like, and one of the boys there last week says to me, I'm 50 days clean and sober, all of a sudden I just overwhelmed with happiness for him. Oh, I just started tearing up, I was like, oh, so proud of you, brother, well done, like, mm. you know, but to be able to feel and to actually, to be able to feel other people's emotions, like, to me is incredible, like, I could never do that. So that's probably another layer for me the last couple of months that's been, been opening up a little bit, but... Yeah, just not having to run on and just to be able to live in reality. Little things like, you know, it's just it is. It's amazing. Like, yeah, because it sounds like you know, of the course of the whole journey that we've that you've described and we've been talking about today, like you obviously get to a point where like you have to, I suppose, initially you're running away from the past, and then so your your behaviors in the present they're actually like you know avoidance and trying to to numb and compress and suppress, but then like the t- what you've done and the journey you've been on. I'm sure it's helped you look back and make sense of some of the pieces that were behind. Um, but then it's also given you like skills and tools and cap- the capability then to actually be in the present um, in a way that I hope and that I throw to you that you know is kind of going to guide you into a good future or a better future. Whereas I think you said earlier, like you couldn't even think about the future because that was just like, um, and it's just that kind of, that kind of adjustment of you're kind of now being in the present to have a good experience of that moment, but also uh, with some hope for the future rather than being in the present to get away from the past. Is that kind of like the the relationship? I might have half botched it, but that was kind of what I was thinking as I kind of listened to you there. Yeah, no, big time. Like I said, even I probably deal with a lot of stuff from my past then and still had massive like resentments and was still holding on to so much like, I remember someone saying to me, do you know you're going to have to learn to forgive that person to be completely free? And me thinking in my own head, are you having a laugh? Like, yeah, I'm my shite. <laughs> are, are you mad at you? Like, and it's like, look, you're not, forgi- you're not forgiving their actions or what mm. happened. You're forgiving them for you, for you to be free and for you okay. to live in peace. And um, when I understood that, like, that was a different level of freedom again. Like, do you know what I mean? I'm like, look, whatever's happened to you has happened to you. You can't do anything about it. But like... It's your responsibility, but how you let you make it feel like inside you, you know? So like letting go of forgiving, like forgiving people and letting go of resentments was was massive. And that like that was a different level again. Cause still, even though I thought I was doing well, I still had this stuff inside me. Like, and now like, I'm not messing, like if someone does something to me or something bad happens or someone says something, I said, you know what the best thing to do for them now? You go and say a prayer for them because that's the best thing you can do with them now. People are like, what? I'm telling you now, just you need to be free of it for yourself, not for anybody else. Like, so that was huge. And then something that helped me actually, just when you were talking there, reminded me. I remember last last year, I made a vision board. No, it's not here on my desk; it's in my bedroom. But I, I like to me, like a future, like you said, was just not going to happen. Like, so someone said to me, "Do you know what? 
go and make a visual. I'm a very visual person. Mm-hmm. And went and got all the things that I said, like, look, imagine this perfect future. So I printed out pictures of them and stuck them on this cork board. And I have it in my bedroom. So the minute I wake up in the morning, it's the first thing I see, like, I'm not messing around. I was looking at it the other day and I was like, Mary, like, do you know how much of that you've already clicked off? Like, wow. it's, it's nuts, like, but like yeah. visually, like I'm a big person for like not manifesting things and doing nothing about it. I'm a big, big person for like visualizing stuff. And like, when you see something, then you can go get it. You know that mm-hmm. kind of way? So like, I, I, for me, that was, that was huge as well because I know where I want to go. I know where I've come from, but I know right exactly where I am and what I need to do to get to where I want to be, if that makes sense. Ah, totally. 100% does. Um, yeah. And like, with that kind of line of thinking then, Mary, like I, would def- I wanted to ask you, like, the as you work on yourself and evolve on yourself and kind of develop the stuff we've talked about, like the self-care and the, the self-awareness, how, how different is your relationship with, sport at the moment like so you're still playing this season is is, is rumbling on I know by the time this one comes out you'll have probably played your semi-final so I hope it's a win but um, how different is your relationship with the game itself and what kind of role does sport play in your life now I think it was like it was almost like learning a different sport like to to be honest and like because like we played in 2016 I remember standing in Crow Park that second half and I remember like kind of coming through and I remember being like Pack Stadium like the, the senior semi-final was coming on after us maybe 50,000 people in the stadium and I remember looking up going what am I doing here like do you know what I mean I was after being out drinking the night before like and just after sobering up in the middle of the pitch like kind of going what is going on here and all I was thinking in my own head is like jeez I can't wait to get off this pitch to go and get something do you know what I mean to get out of my head a little bit and so when I I, I still played in 2017 after we won the All-Ireland and then I stopped playing for a year or two because just th- that was all the middle of my relapsing and then I came back last year playing and uh, it was just I actually asked the manager at the time could I play outfield because I said to myself you're going to be way too much time to think here yeah, too goals. much thinking time yeah oh you know as a keeper like you're yeah. just it's a oh it's so much thinking so I actually I went back playing outfield last year and then this year I came back and I was like, no, like, I'm in such a good place, like, but first couple of games, I'm not messing, like, and I was just like, I'd never suffered nerves, not suffered, but I'd never felt nervous in my life because I'd never felt anything. Yes. People said to me, how did you do this and how did you do that? And like, I was just so fearless before because I never felt anything. Whereas now I feel everything. I remember the first game we played and I was in goals and I was like, lads, this is a different ball game. Like, I was like, I really had to learn. So, like... Now I get a little bit nervous for a game around, but like that, but like, I'm just so like, you know, whatever's meant to be will be like, I'm really like that, I'm real kind of, real chilled out, but like, the first couple of games was, it was a big change, big change, and like, even say, like I used to be an awful woman for playing, like when playing club football or whatever, I was so full of anger, like, just always getting red cards, and getting sent off and fighting, like, always trying to fight, like, and now like, someone would come on the pitch and start mounting to me and I'd just be like, yeah, whatever. Look at the scoreboard there when it's over. Like, you can't touch me. Like, you know what I mean? You're not going to get me to engage anymore. So there's no point coming near me because I do, I just, whereas before I'd bite back at that, like, you know, whereas now I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like, just don't say that and you'll regret or something like that'll hurt someone. Because like, at the end of the day, I'll say, look, once you do the right thing, the right things will happen to you. I always say that to myself, like, but yeah, been in goals, like you said, it's just, it's been a big change. Like, yeah. I was, it was so when, much time to when, think. 
like when you said that example of like the thinking time, and I know it kind of, I go back to an experience of my own journey where it was actually, I was heading into probably a, a third kind of mental health dip. And I remember I was playing in Crow Park too, Mary, and you said the thinking time. And I remember looking around like in the second half of, it was an All-Ireland quarterfinal against Kerry. And I was sitting, standing there being like, is this it? Like, is this all this yeah. is? Like, is this like, is this all your life is going to be? Like, is that all? Like, the game's going on. Like, there's kick yeah. passes over and back and I'm standing there having this chat. Um, like, it was such a surreal experience. I know you said it there, like to, to be where you are now and then looking back at a time where you said like you were <laughs> kind of half sobering up and it all are and fine. Like, that must like really ground you and like, because you don't, obviously don't want to forget your past because it can help you and it can kind of ground you and remind you of where you've come from, which is important. And then like, does that, like, how do you reflect back on when you, like you share those experiences, when you, when you articulate those, those things out loud? Like, how does it make you feel as you, like even just having this whole conversation today, like when you, I suppose we've talked about their division board and looking forward, but obviously being aware then that you're, you are looking back and talking about past experiences. Like, how does that make you feel? I always just look at it, I think, I like look if I, if I can help someone in one like any way whatever it is I'll say if I'm doing a talk and someone's listening to something you're saying and you help one person that day like you know your job is done and I always think back Jesus if I had heard someone speak when I was back in the depths of it and something had to reach me about look it's okay like you're not the only one that feels like this like you can get help to me like it would have been everything so I always just think of the younger Mary like if that makes sense absolutely um, yeah, but like now when I talk about things like before I had no emotion or absolutely no feeling towards talking about something about myself, if that makes sense. But like if I heard my story from someone else, I'd be like, oh, but like when I talk about it to me, it was, I was just numb to it. But now like someone said to me there, we had the quarterfinal last week and someone said to me like, 2016, you played in Crow Park. You don't remember any of it, Mary. I really hope this year you get back there and you remember every single little bit of it. And in my own head, I was thinking, oh, like, it will be class. Like, it, that's my goal. Like, to me, it is to get back to, to an All Ireland final and to be like, right, don't forget where you've come from, but that doesn't define you. Who you are today is what defines you. Like, we spoke about it earlier, like, my addiction, my recovery, all that doesn't define me anymore. It's, I've been through it, but like, who am I as a person today is like who I am. But like, I definitely feel a lot of emotion, like just the last couple of months, like I said to you, like as the layers come off, yeah, whereas before I just never felt any emotion towards myself, but I would feel it towards other people. But now I'm like, I do, yeah. Because even like, I can feel myself welling up at times now before, is whereas I just talk about it like with no emotion, like, I mean, I was like, Jesus, do you remember it like that? Like, So, I don't know, I think to get back there and to do it, to... I don't, know, I don't even care. Like, I always like, look, I want to go out to win. Like, but at the end of the day, like, I said, go out. If you do your best on the day, like, you can't do any more. Like, there's going to be so other mother, like, variables and factors that will influence the game. Like, once you know that you've emptied everything, like, you're winning. That's success at the end of the day. Hmm. Like, you know, I'm just like, just get back there and just be like, right. You know, you're doing all right. Like, oh, uh, definitely. You're, you're doing more than all right. And I kind of, like as you mentioned like the feelings there I, I I think it was a previous conversation on this series with Niall McNamee Mary where he he described I think it was Niall but he described like the one of the best things about getting into recovery is that you get your feelings back and one of the worst things about getting into recovery is you have to feel them <laughs> but that it's just but that's part of the journey you know um so I used and, to run from all that you know what I mean you used to run oh, away the minute I'd feel something you'd be gone give me yeah. a drink or a drug and that's gone mm. yeah and yeah, it's, as you said, like it's, 
learning to to feel them, learning to be aware of them. But then also I come back to kind of what I said earlier too, then, okay, here's what I've been thinking. Here's what I've been feeling. Like, what's my action? What am I going to do today? And we've talked about the kind of helpful examples that have worked for you. And the other one to say is that like, as you keep peeling those layers, I get the sense, Mary, that like, you feel like you've, you've you've peeled the layers back a few. I'd imagine there's probably another couple to go there. And, but is that... Mm whatever troubles that might bring up or any triggers from past or present or future that bring up, knowing of having a relationship with a counsellor and being aware of the support services that when things do flare up or if there is trouble, does that give you a sense of comfort as you kind of move forward and look ahead to the future to know that there's not those years of hiding, you said if it's in the back of your car, Mary, or hiding in a living room, like being on your own, feeling isolated, feeling disconnected, to know that help does exist, you've asked before and it's come, but now you also have relationships and people around you and you said we earlier to know that whatever does pop up, because it, it may, stuff may happen down the line, to, to know that you have that help and that support readily at hand and people that are going to be there to help you, but also places you can go to help yourself. Yeah, big time. It's it's almost like your new crutch is like, mm. as I said, like I'll, usually the first thing I do if I wake up is I pick the phone up and then I'll do, you know, I do all my other little bits to fill my cup up. But I was very blessed, like I said, Alan, with the GPA. Like, they've helped me big time in terms of counselling and funding and stuff like that. Like, and I know I understand a lot of people, especially in recovery, can't afford that. Like, and I also, even when I'm talking to the kids or, or that, like, if you just find someone you trust, like, it doesn't have to be a professional. Just someone like, look, I'm struggling today. And for you to be able to be a little bit vulnerable with them and to have that connection that you can say, come on, we go for a walk. Come on, we go for a cup of tea there. That's everything. Like, and that's what I said, like, it doesn't have to be a professional, like, later down the line, brilliant, if you can afford that, that's great, but a lot of people can't, like, especially today. So, a person you trust, that you know that if you, you're in bother, they'll talk it through with you. You know, like, which which is everything, but, like, I am, I'm really blessed, I'm a counsellor, I have two other good people that know me inside out, and they'll always lead me to do the right thing, you know, and it's, they won't tell me what to do, and they never do, they get the answers out of me, but I need to talk it through with them to figure out the answer, you know what I mean, sometimes. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, I totally agree with every word you've said there. The other thing of kind of having those two, three people around you, Mary, is yes, they can listen to you, but also, and I don't know if they do this for you, but having one or two people that can check you on your bullshit or self-correct you in terms of if you're heading down the wrong path, you're saying something that's starting to maybe an orange flag to them before it becomes a red flag. Having people that can kind of keep you, I call them the... uh, when you're a kid, you go playing bowling and you'd pull up the little safety bumpers on the side. Like ideally yeah. you don't need them and you don't want them. But if there is, you start to veer off course, they can just help you bounce back in. Because um, that's, a, like, again, it's a proactive and it's a thing that's getting ahead of something. Because um, I think that's important too, you know, to have people around you that can, because we all need help at times. We all need a bit of guidance and we all need to have ourselves checked or... Or, or just not, not, not called out. I don't mean it in that way, but just to help us keep us authentic and keep us on the right path, you know? Yeah, big time. I think we all need a friend or two to mm. definitely just give it to you straight between the eyes, like, mm. you know? And like, you're right in a way, like, it is, like, someone that'll pull you up and call you out when you're bullshit, like, mm. who are you trying to fool here, right? Let's be straight, like, come on, be honest here with me, like, what's the right thing to do? Because sometimes and we're then, just trying to like, fool ourselves, you know? Like, that's yeah, the... Facts. And then you'll convince yourself that it's the truth, even though yes. you know it's not, like... <laughs> it, it, no, I think it's, I think that's such a great way to kind of, to wrap up that conversation. The only other thing I wanted to touch upon with you, Mary, before I let you go and thank you properly is you mentioned the GPA there and I know you're 
the GPA are obviously this whole podcast here is the player's voice is in collaboration with them something I've been very fortunate and lucky to work on over the last couple of years and this conversation Mary is very powerful and will be one that I'll remember forever but I know they've also partnered up with the Jack and Jill Foundation and I believe you're an ambassador or certainly working with them as part of their current campaign up the hill for Jack and Jill. And yeah, that's right. So I was just going to throw that over to you and kind of ask you kind of what's going on, what, like what made you get involved and tell us a little bit about it before we kind of wrap up. Yeah, it's a foundation that's close to home here in Kildare um, and like it helps families like the less advantaged families all around the country to do so much work um, and I think they're, they're, what we're doing is we're running a, a campaign called Up the Hill where they're trying to gather as many people as they can from around the different counties in, in the country um, to do walk whether it's in your own county or whatever it is and to, to just to donate or to fund in some way um, so I'm going to take a gang up here from the gym we're going to head up Braveheart Hill so we have a gang of already I think about 25 signed up here so Deadly. we're going to walk up Braveheart Hill here um, in a few weeks to try and raise awareness for it but it can be anything just something wherever in your hometown wherever um, and to just spread awareness and to just try and get it out on social media and to try and keep pumping as much as we can but it's, a, it's an amazing organisation and the, the people are just they're incredible what they do like the, we had an open there there a few weeks ago where they brought all the families out and it's just uh, like that like I just like I said to you about emotions like and stuff when you, you kind of you don't, we don't realise how lucky we have it, Alan, really, like, to be fully healthy, like, your health is just everything, like, and, like, oh, we don't, like, it is, it's, it's, it's an amazing organisation, what to do for families it is, it's just incredible, like, so I think we should try and back it in whatever way we can, like, every one of us. And as you said there, I'm sure people can go onto the Jack and Jill Foundation website, but this is not an event where, you know, people have to gather at a certain place at a certain time. It's something you can register to do to get up a hill in your own neck of the woods, in your own town, in your own county, get a couple of people together. And it's to obviously help raise awareness. And but also there's a fundraising aspect of that as well. So um, that's happening throughout the whole month of July. Am I right in saying that? Is that what's, is that what's going on? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And that's what you said, like, anyone can do it, anyone, any age, you can bring the kids, it's a family thing, you know what I mean? You don't have to have massive fitness levels, just, just something, get there, get the thumbs up, get it out on social media and just, uh, and, and, and donate on the page, yeah. No, I'll definitely, what I'll do is I'll find the full link, Mary, and I don't know if you oh, have, great. if you have your fundraising page, if you want to send to me, I'll find the full link and I'll put it into the outro of the podcast for anyone who wants to go and check it out. Cause I know over the years, Jack and Jill have been heavily involved with GA players and groups and the work that they do is phenomenal and glad the GPA yes. are working with them as well. Um, I'm very best of luck climbing up that hill and bringing, bringing the rest of them <laughs> with you. But, um, yeah, I suppose. The only thing I, I've left to say to you is, is thank you. Thank you for your, for your honesty and your insights and your perspective. And I think it's, we all, we've said it multiple times that everyone's journey is their own journey. Um, and it's about what's finding right to you, but there's also huge power in sharing, sharing experiences, sharing learnings that what we've talked about might help someone find their thing, might help someone reach out for help in a different way. Um, I just want to, I really do want to thank you for, for looking back with me and reflecting on that and sharing that. And I just want to wish you the best of luck in, as it does, I know there's a game coming this weekend, but the best of luck in that, but also best of luck in the future and keep doing what you're doing and keep shining bright. And you have a huge amount of insight and perspective to give. Um, yeah, very, very privileged to have this conversation with you, Mary. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, thanks so much. And, and just thank you as well. I shared with you before. I remember about your book. Like it just, like that for me, that was a massive, massive part of my journey as well, you know, and what you're doing is incredible as well. Also, thanks a million. No, I appreciate it. And that's again, like that's, I did my book, Mary, because my, my hope was always that, you know, 
like people can find it on their own time in their own space and if they take one thing from it they can take it and I'm quite confident I believe conversations like this where it's a podcast it's on a phone feed someone may find this conversation three years on from from now when we release it and find it at the right time that can actually help be a prompt be a trigger in the right way and that's what I love about the Players Voice series we get to capture experiences and perspectives from different people from different places with different backgrounds um, and I think that's important because I think we all learn in different ways and sometimes you need to learn at the right time for you you know I could give yeah, someone could have right. maybe give, say for example someone could have given you my book three years earlier and you could have laughed at it and went that's a load of bollocks and thrown it out you know yeah, and so I do believe <laughs> I do believe thing, people find things often at the right time for them and it's like okay I'll actually have a read of that, you know? Yeah, fact. Um, but thank you for reading the book. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it, Mary. I'll um, I'll let you go. But again, just Mary O'Grain, thanks so much for joining us on The Player's Voice. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Player's Voice with Kildare goalkeeper, Mary Hulgrain. To donate to the Jack and Jill Foundation or to find out more about the ongoing Up the Hill fundraiser, which is being supported by Mary and many other GPA members, please go to jackandjill.ie. Remember, if you're a GPA member in the Republic of Ireland and were impacted by this episode, please call 1-800-989285 or text GPA to 50808. From Northern Ireland, please call 0800-044-5059 or text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and want to learn more about important mental health services, check out the likes of Samaritans, Pieta House, or for addiction-specific services, check out the likes of Quinn Moira. Before I go, I just want to remind you that The Player's Voice is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. The podcast series is part of Bio360, a GPA programme that empowers inter-county players across four key areas, life skills, well-being, dual career and transitions. Please go to bo360.gaelicplayers.com to learn more. My name is Alan O'Mara, and to find out more about my work as a performance and well-being consultant with sports and business leaders around the world, you can check out realtalks.e. Thanks for listening.